This is Fundraising Radio, and today's a guest speak with Brock Weatherup, CEO and co-founder at Metamorphosis Partners, and founder of several companies that got acquired, including Pet360 acquired by PetSmart and Pet Coach acquired by Petco. And as you might have noticed, uh, a lot of companies that Brock was a part of have a word pet in them. So Brock is heavily focused on this specific field which is a pet industry. Uh, I'm not quite sure how to phrase that, but uh, basically in this episode, we'll focus a lot on staying focused in one field and what are the major advantages of that. So Brock, uh, let's kick it off by you giving us some background on yourself and on Metamorphosis Partners. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I think um, you know, the exciting thing about, frankly, you know, doing Metamorphosis and creating that business was it's really a, combination of, frankly, a whole lot of stuff before this. So pulling together some great folks, but also kind of my lessons learned of starting other businesses. And, you know, that all came together to say, hey, how do we in Metamorphosis bring together a bunch of really talented people focused on an industry that we know well and are well connected in the pet industry? Um, and could we create businesses that are that take advantage of both that knowledge and that expertise and hence Metamorphosis, and so far that has led us to create a, a content site that's uh, called GreatPetCare.com. Um, we've created a pet supplement and treat and CBD for pets product company called The Anxious Pet. So you can see that at TheAnxiousPet.com, um, as well as we've uh, got into a few other kind of areas through acquisition of acquiring a small business called Metropolis that's in the retail side of it and paw print that's in medical records management and a few other things. So we've been, uh, we've been busy since we started 10 months ago. Oh, nice. It's a pretty young company. Congrats on that, by the way. Uh, and just making sure we are on the same page, Metamorphosis Partners is like a mix of an investor and a venture studio or a startup studio. Yeah, it's, it's probably more of like an, it, it's an operating company that acts like what people could understand as a venture studio. So what I mean mm -hmm. by that is we are choosing to be opportunistic of things that we build ourselves. Um, mm -hmm. But on the other side, um, you know, the the ability for us to either acquire and kind of move forward with it. So, um, you know, we, we, we kind of go about it one way or the other, but everything is a wholly owned uh, operating entity within metamorphosis. So we don't we don't invest in a true kind of we're going to put a minority stake in another company, mm -hmm. um, but it's more, you know, we, we will either choose to build it or we will acquire it to get it to grow. And that's how we create our business. I got it. Okay. That's pretty interesting approach. And we'll get back to that a bit later. But first I actually want to discuss, uh, focus on that specific industry, which is a pet industry. Why did you choose that specific field and why did you focus on it so heavily? And would you recommend people to be like so, so, so focused in that in one specific industry, or would they? Would you rather uh, see more people, you know, diversifying their experience, basically? Well, you know, before getting into the pet industry, um, you know, the fact of the matter was, I, 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 and I frankly still define my own experience as being in the, you know, consumer business. So in the and in the in that consumer business, it's you know, selling a product or service to a consumer. The last, you know, 10, 12 years have been in the pet industry. Prior to that, I did 
uh, a business that I started called Fathead um, that was in the sports and entertainment industry. And before that, it was in a company called Interactive Corp, which included things like Ticketmaster and Expedia and City Search and a whole bunch of other things. The consistent thing through all of those are there, it's how do you leverage technology to sell a product or service? And the secondary piece that's the similarity through all that is those are three things that I personally love. So my, you know, my best day would be going for a hike in the woods, you know, with my, with my dog and then coming home and, you know, watching sports. And so I built a, you know, within Ticketmaster, I ran a division called Reserve America that was in the outdoor recreation space. And then obviously Fathead, which was in the sports space, and then obviously a lot in pet. So those are three things that are, are, are personally of, of passion interest. And so I think that's what's more important than necessarily, you know, what what category, and you, you have to be excited about what you want to get into. And especially as an entrepreneur, you have to believe in what you're doing. Otherwise you're not going to have enough energy to get through the, you know, the startup world. Right, right. That's true. That's uh, passion is like the key determining factor there. So good point. Um, but let's talk about your previous successes, which is, uh, from what I know, Pet360 acquired by PetSmart and PetCoach acquired by PetCo. Was there anything else that I missed? I, th I think there was, right? Uh, well, th those were, you know, what were kind of directly acquired, um, you know, grew, you know, Fathead to a, you know, pretty, pretty big scale. Um, before I, I, I left it, um, and it's you know continued on to today, and then obviously there's things inside what what is the public company of Interactive Corp, but kind of those those two specific things you know have kind of been a part of that. I think one one point that's also of note as as we talk about fundraising is when I left um, PetSmart um, and before I started Pet Coach. Um, it's hard to keep all the pet names correct, but <laughs> um, after I left PetSmart, I, I spent the next kind of year-ish, um, frankly, just being a fairly active angel investor. And so wasn't really doing a quote-unquote full-time job, um, but my full-time job was working with entrepreneurs and working with startups across a whole bunch of different categories, all consumer-focused. Um, but was a fairly active, you know, angel investor. I, you know, kind of personally am an investor in about, well, uh, well, 23 different companies um, nice. as an individual. And so I've been, so I've been on that side of the equation also as kind of going through all these sort of the different dynamics of fundraising as there's, there's many, many aspects to it. Right. Speaking of fundraising, so you've raised money for multiple companies and let's talk about that. What's your like the major takeaway from all those fundraisings and what would you do differently if you could go back in time and go to your very first company that you were trying to raise money for? What would you do differently there? Well, I think there's a couple of different things. So, you know, I've raised kind of what I'll call large scale growth capital or larger scale. So raised $18 million as part of Pet360 in a growth capital sort of scenario versus, you know, doing something like Pet Coach where we created, where we did basically seed capital at small scale and metamorphosis is somewhere in between. And so the thing that I've kind of learned all along, right, is, you know, you, you want to, as much as you can be uh, specific about who you get as to be your investors, it's pretty important because that matters over time and who they are, what they care about, what their specific time horizons are, how their what their promises are to their 
their LPs, frankly, a big part, especially if you're getting professional money, so non-angel or individual investments, if you're getting it from professionals, so VCs or anything else, is you need to also pay attention to where you are in their particular fund. And what I mean by that is if you're an early investment in the fund, then, you know, kind of the pressure is a little kind of less at the beginning, but you'll also be kind of hopefully one of the earliest ones to create a return. And so there will be a pressure to exit. Similarly, if you're one of the later investments of an incredibly successful fund, honestly, the pressure is off because the fund has already returned something meaningful to their LPs. And so you don't, you're, the pressure on the business to create a, uh, you know, a massive exit versus a nice exit is is different because they've already they've already used the value of the fund that they've just created a return for their LPs to raise another fund because that's how funds need to become really successful is when they're on fund four and fund five and fund six, that means they are doing incredibly well. Right. Right. That's actually a good point, you know, looking at where the fund is at its stage of you know investing cycle. That's super very, very important. So good point here. Uh, but I want to get back to your company, Pet360. You were the only founder of it. How how did it work out? And I mean it worked out pretty well. <laughs> I can see that it got acquired. Uh, and question is how did you manage to lead the company by yourself, basically with no co-founders? Were you able to raise any money for it? Well, so so again, the, the situation with Pet360 was um, I, I originally came in and there, the, there was a business there that was called Pet Food Direct, um, and it was failing. It was frankly going to go out of business. And mm -hmm. I came in and you know kind of said, hey, look, could this turn into something more? And so... So that kind of turned, we kind of completely, you know, re remastered the whole thing, used some of the infrastructure of Pet Food Direct, but we used it to really build Pet360, which then included PetMD, which included a, a site called Only Natural Pet, which included a pet pharmacy, all these sorts of things. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, and, you know, that became what, what was Pet360 at the end of the day. And, the, you know, the, the value of that is I think, you know, the, you know, I think there's probably too much made of co-founders versus founder. Look, you have to be a great leader, like whether there are six co-founders or there's one, it doesn't really matter. If you're gonna be the CEO of the business, you've gotta be a great leader, which means you need to find and hire exceptional people. You need to motivate those individuals to do great work. You need to organize strategies so that resources are being allocated well. And you need to make sure at the end of the day that you have a well and high functioning team to achieve your goal because you know businesses succeed because of people uh, you know and strategy but you can never succeed with just strategy and not the people and so co-founder not co-founder anything else it's kind of irrelevant it's just how do you put your team together i've i've never made much of the founder co-founder thing um it's something that a lot of the world makes a big deal about but i have never made a big deal out of it that is actually Probably that's the first time I hear that because basically everyone's saying like, yeah, co-founder is basically essential. Uh, so that's that's something new. That's something completely new. Uh, but when you were talking to investors or to potential acquirers at the end, were they not concerned by the fact that you're the only founder of the company? That's what I hear mostly. Like you just have to have a co-founder because that's what investors care about a lot. 
investors care about the team. They don't care whether you call them co-founders or not. That's like a really like, good I mean, point. <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, fundamentally, like you know, okay, so if, if metamorphosis, I think you know, if you looked at LinkedIn, we have six co-founders because we're the six people who got together and were here on day one in September of last year. Okay, mm -hmm. does that really matter? No. Does it matter that those six people are are extraordinary and exceptional individuals with terrific backgrounds? Absolutely. Have we added now another? 20 plus people to the team that would also have incredible backgrounds and incredible expertise, you bet. And so no matter what it looks like at the end, it's, uh, it, it's, here's what the, here's what the team looks like. And, you know, pet coach, when we built that business, you know, the, you know, when Petco acquired us, it was entirely like, oh, wow. Like, okay, wait, there's you Brock. There's, Hey, there's David Martin. Who's an incredible product person. Oh, there's Christy long. Uh, Dr. Christy Long, who is a exceptional and entrepreneurial veterinarian, which there aren't many of. Oh, you've got Fernando Pasqua, who is the CTO and has built this incredible and really efficient team in Brazil that supports what you're trying to do. Oh, you have, right? I mean, that's what mm -hmm. sold the business, not that whether I was co-founder with David or not. Like, it was just not really the... That wasn't the question, but the people that came together were there, and there was never a definition of being you know, in, in, in you know, a co-founder or not a co-founder. Right. That's actually a very good point. I like that approach and probably can work. I mean, that's that's always debatable. So uh, we'll, we'll see how, how, how stuff goes. If people try it, uh, let me know how that goes. I'm curious. <laughs> but let's go into a bit more detail in terms of fundraising. So let's talk about what type of uh, tool should you use to raise money from investors. So there is convertible debt, there is convertible notes, there are uh, price equity rounds. Uh, there are basically all all types of funding there which one is your favorite what would you recommend to early stage founders i think when you're early stage like i, I mean look the, the the safe notes that were put together i think are an incredible tool um one because they don't they don't require a huge amount of effort to define value at the moment obviously you have to define what your cap is and likely what your discount is in any special terms but at the end of the day, you're able to really just be like, okay, you know, bring some money in. The legal uh, cost of doing it is basically negligible. Like it's just a, it's a, it's a really beautiful tool, right? That was put together. I think Y Combinator, whoever kind of put it together at the beginning, but it's, it's an exceptional tool. Similarly, um, you know, if you have the right investors and they are folks that are kind of around you that you know, look. If you can do an easy priced round at the beginning, like why not? If you if you have really sophisticated investors that start to get into special terms or special classes of stock, like you're gonna just you're gonna eat up so much time on legal documents and trying to understand it, and it's gonna be and and you know so little early on in a business that it you know if if you did a you know preferred equity round with certain, you know, kind of caps and interest rates and things like, you just don't know enough about the business to whether or not that would be, that's a really dumb or really smart thing because you just haven't been at it long enough. So I think the safe notes are, are really great early on. 
Right. That's why they're so damn popular. <laughs> That's reasonable. Correct. Correct. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> uh, so yeah, if uh, someone is not familiar with the safe note, you really should be. Go on, just Google safe notes, why company just safe notes is basically enough. Just Google that. Um, and here we're moving on to actually using safe notes in terms of, you know, how to get to a point where you can use it, you know, to raise money. Let's talk about the big decks. I mean, you've raised multiple uh, money for multiple companies and you've, I bet, done plenty of mistakes in your presentations <laughs> in the way you've structured it. What do you think were the major mistakes that you've made there during the, your, those presentations or during those meetings with investors? What's, what are the major mistakes that you would basically try to avert? Well, I think there's, there, there's, I'll, I'll separate into two different sides of it. One is what is the pitch deck? And then what is your commentary around the pitch deck? So I'll separate those two things for one Sounds second. Sounds good. So the, the, the specifically to the pitch deck is what I would say is like, and I've, I've, I think I've yet to be disproven on this sort of perspective. There are three things that every investor everywhere always will break down to that are critical for what you need to do and why somebody would invest in your business. And it's always these three, they'll call them different things, but it's always these three, right? First and foremost is, you know, are you going after a big enough of an industry, right? Like if you're trying to win a $20 million industry, nobody's gonna care. If you're trying to win a $20 billion industry, okay, somebody's gonna care, right? You need to just tell me that the space and whatever you're trying to do or going after is gonna be big enough. The pet industry is a $90 billion industry that's growing at four to 5% every year for the last 20 years. Like, okay, like that's a big enough space. Okay. So that's number one. Is it big enough? Number two is, are what you are trying to solve with it, something that anyone cares about? Like, so is there actually a problem solution or is there kind of unique solution to a need or is it like it has to be definable and whomever's on the other side's got to get excited about it and look some people will will get excited about something and some people won't and that's just that's pure kind of taste or perspective on what they think the market is willing to do you know fathead for example were big basically stickable posters huge post-it notes of your favorite sports stars you stick on the wall Trust me, my, my wife in particular was like, why would anyone ever buy one of these things? Well, okay, <laughs> you know, but on the other end, like it depended on your audience, right? So again, first and foremost, is it a big enough market? Second, does anyone care? Are people excited about it? In the case of Fathead, that example, like people love showing off what they are sports fans of and want to frankly rub it in other people's faces, what sports fan they are, mostly male, right? Sort of direction with it. So again, big market, is it something that somebody can get behind that it's gonna solve? And then third is, do you have the team to figure it out? Because no matter what you put in your early models or everything else, like it's all BS. Nobody has any idea what the model is. It is definitively <laughs> right. wrong from minute one. The investor needs to know, okay, do these people know how to navigate it? Is this going to require relationships? Is this going to require technical expertise? Is this going to require exceptional marketing? Is this going to require fill in the blank? And does the team that's behind it, are they able to do that? So again, three things, always big enough, interesting enough, and the team to do it. Everything else is noise around that. So put your pitch deck together where those three things are what you're doing, what you're talking about, it should follow that flow and you should make sure that 
at the end of the day, people walk away and get those three things because if they don't get those three things, everything else is a mess. So then, so that's the, what the pitch deck is, right? The, then mm -hmm. how you approach it, I think one of the things that, you know, a uh, especially first time entrepreneurs try to do, and especially if they start to get a little bit of traction, their egos get ahead of themselves and they think they need to know everything. The fact of the matter is you're likely pitching in a room uh, to, if they're sophisticated investors, they've seen a thousand pitch decks. They've seen it from every industry, from every entrepreneur and every idea. Not, nothing is generally very new. I mean, there aren't really unique ideas. It's how you're going about it or what, what you're trying to create out of it. And so if you walk into that meeting, you want to be confident about what you're doing and be very sure about what you're doing, because trust me, they're going to throw lots of arrows at you to try and knock you off of it. But on the other side, you, you also should be humble. You should be in a position where like, you know, I don't know the answer to that. Let me get back to you on it. Or that's a great question. Let me work on that and come back with some thoughts versus trying to fumble through or make up an answer. Because if you do that, then the investor on the other side is going to go, that person and that team isn't capable of running this business or long-term. I'm not going to invest in them because they believe in what they don't know. And that's dangerous for an investor. So just be very, very careful about that. Right. That's actually a great point. I've heard a story of how an investment failed. And like, it was their basically very final meeting. They were expecting a check already. And it was like a wrap up basically. And after 15 minutes of, you know, final questions from an investor, the investor was like, oh, sorry, I cannot invest. And the founder was just shocked. And he was like, okay, what, what? And the investor said, it's just because you said, you never said, I did not know the answer for that. So <laughs> that yeah. happens. That's valid. That's really valid. Sometimes. You well, just... because, because again, you need as an investor. And so this, as I looked at things as a, as an angel investor was right. People need to be aware of what they don't know, right. aware of what they do know, but you have to have the humility to understand which is which, because if you think, you know, then you're, you're going to run right off the edge of the cliff thinking that the cliff wasn't there. Right. right. That's, that's... And, that's, and, and that's a really dangerous place for an investor. Absolutely. That's a very valid point. Make sure to say, I do not know. <laughs> uh, and that's, that's okay. And, and, and yeah. own it. And, and that's totally fine. Right. Like, I don't right. know. Let me get back to you. Or if that's a great question, I hadn't thought about that, but let me put some thought to it. Great. And make sure you follow up. <laughs> right. Absolutely. And that's going to give you like, you know, a good reason to follow up with an investor and, you know, check in what's, what their thoughts are on the company. So, very good point. And we're moving on to the current situation. So right now is the pandemic going off. Everyone's a bit scared. Uh, the investments are uncertain. More and more money are pured into, you know, later stage companies and the early stage founders are sitting there trying to figure out if they should just get a normal job. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and what's your recommendation to those early stage founders? What should they do? How can they still raise money? If you know, they feel that this is the time that they just want to start their company. Maybe it's not necessarily the best time for them to raise, but they still want to raise money right now. What's your recommendation to them? Well, I, I think well, a couple of things is that great companies that are going after great markets with a great solution, with a great team, 
are getting funded and will always get funded. It doesn't matter what the time is. People will say it's the recession of 07, 08. It's, oh, it's the COVID. It's a whatever. Like if, if, if you have those three things, they will always get funded. There's plenty of money for those teams and those ideas and those businesses every day of every year of every decade. So, you know, the folks who are not in that category, who are struggling to get uh, capital, I think, you know, on the one part, there are some very unique aspects of the current world right now. Like, hey, if you want to create the next generation boutique hotel, you're probably going to have a little bit harder time raising capital. Are you going to create an airline, right? I mean, that would be pretty bad to try and do in this world, right? If you're going to open a, a restaurant in New York City, like, you know, caution, <laughs> right, on what those things are. Right, um, right. I, I, but and so there's some very specific things that you kind of have to, you know, stay away from because, the you know, look, the, the world just shut down on those things. But that's, and the reality is that's maybe 10, 20% of startups that were out there are, are really ran into a, oh my goodness, <clears throat> you know, this, this is shut down. Yep. Um, and so you got to move those off to the side and then talk about the other 80%, right? On, on the other 80% is, again, if you are, if, if you have a good business and you're going after the right category, the, you know, with a great team going about it, you'll get funded. And the, you know, the fact of the matter is, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me, I guess I'm caught my throat. Um, the fact of the matter is you will get funded and, you know, finding those people, you just have to be a little bit more resourceful of how do you get in contact with people? I think, frankly, it's an easier time than ever to get in contact with people because people aren't traveling, they aren't on vacation, they aren't in meetings, they aren't waste, they, they aren't caught up, that, you know, I can't reach him right now because he's on a plane. Well, that just isn't the case, mm -hmm. right? Or I, or I want to get, you know, um, you know, uh, you know, the, the founder and get her to have a conversation with me, like those things aren't there. And so, you know, I think if, if you're really struggling to raise capital, you know, and those sorts of things, then I would, frankly, like, you know, don't, don't miss out on the point to look in the mirror and go, am I, is my idea and my business really that good? Right. That's very important. I'm personally not the biggest fan of, you know, self-reflection and all that stuff, but in terms of startups, that's super extra important. Sometimes when people do take this look at the mirror, they're like, oh gosh, that's in this part of my business is disgusting. And they're just going to pivot and that's it. Then it's yeah. going to work. So definitely yeah, and, do and that. You can, and, you, and you can pivot, you can go somewhere else, but right. you, you have, you have to make sure that you are all in on what you're trying to create. Cause if you don't, then you know, you're, you're, you're not going to get there. And, you know, the, the, the reflection on whether or not, like, it's a good business, like you have to look, you have to ask yourself that all the time. Look, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, ten, I'm 10 months into metamorphosis and we've got some amazing stuff and we raised a whole bunch of capital and we've got some really great things that have launched, we've got great partnerships. And, you know, well, you know, not last night, but the night before I woke up in the middle of the night thinking I, I like, this was a terrible idea that I think was wrong. <laughs> we, 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 we've gone at it too fast. We're, you know, we're just trying, you know, we're, we're, we're smarter than we should be. You know, we should have taken more time. We should have gone slower. 
you know, and then I wake up and get into the office and go, yep, we're crushing it. Let's keep going. Right. So, <laughs> you yeah. know, I, it's, it's not a bad thing to ask your question on your business of whether or not you're doing something good or whether it's a great idea, but you'd also look, you gotta real like we can get so caught up in our own echo chambers, right. Of oh, what I'm doing is great. Isn't this amazing? Well, if all the people around mm -hmm. you keep saying it's amazing, well, that's wonderful. But if the right. world outside of the five people that you're around say it's amazing, then that's not helpful, right? You, you need good friends, you need good advisors, you need good family to go, well, that's really stupid. Like, why are you doing that? Like, that's never gonna work in, you know, nice and constructive ways, but you know, you need to, you, you need to, you need to have a check on reality. Right. Um, and that's a good thing, so. You definitely need validation there. But on this somewhat positive, somewhat negative note, <laughs> I think we're moving on to the last <laughs> question of today's episode, episode, which is a call to action. So what's the one thing that you would like the listener to do as soon as the episode is over? Uh, write down who their team is. And that's a personal team, that's a professional team, but who are the folks that are around them and do they have enough diversity of thought and experience um, you know, around them to help make sure that they be great and well. Like I'm going and you have to invest in that of who are the people that you turn to to help you work through things. And one day it's a marketing challenge. The other day it's a motivation challenge. The next day it's a financial challenge. The next day it's a, I need to find a, you know, a new, you know, head of technology, right? I mean, so do you have the team around you, personal and professional to, you know, to succeed? That's actually great advice. It should not, it's going to take plenty of time. Never mind. <laughs> yeah. But it's definitely <laughs> worth taking that time, you know, to understand what your bottlenecks are and what kind of people can solve it and what kind of resources you can dedicate to this, to those people uh, to solve those problems. So great advice definitely take time on that and on my personal note uh i'll say go to fundraisingradio.com and there is an acquisition part of it so just go into these sections and go through acquisitions and there are plenty of great stories if you want to hear more about this oh and also i forgot to mention that we are creating our primary custom channel which is paid by the way and there is an article on the acquisition of Schoolmint. So if you're curious, I'm going to leave a link to Patreon so you can check it out, sign up. And that will definitely help us out in terms of you know, growing our podcast. So take your time, do your work and stay positive. So we'll wrap it up here. Thanks a lot, Brooke, for coming up and for sharing your knowledge. I think that was a great episode. A lot of, you know, a bit of emotional roller coaster versus happy. That is not that happy anymore. But that's how startup life goes. So thanks a lot for sharing that. Yeah, well, happy to. It's a, it's a tough slog to be an entrepreneur, and people need to, you know, respect that. It's also the most amazing thing you'll ever do. It'll also be the most difficult thing you ever do. Exactly. <laughs>